And now back to the Sun and Fun Radio Deck, brought to you in part by the Green Bay Austin Straubel International Airport. Take it away, guys. Welcome back. Pretty much every day after the air show, we go to our overnight loop. We've done a change-up this year. Um, we, you know, generally, we have a double episode, two episodes of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. This is the year of changes, and we're doing everything, and UCAP is actually going to do one show this year, tonight, actually, right now. It's going to be an especially good one, though. And a, is this a special, special episode? And a special, special episode. A special, special episode. Normally, I do a big, long introduction about everything. Um, tonight, I am going to just say, welcome back, guys. We're glad you're here. And I am, because I have the theoretical April waiting for me off deck. Theoretical? <laughs> Years ago, Jack Hodgson coined my better half April the theoretical April. Because we, we heard about her, we saw the benefits of her existence, but nobody had ever seen her. So now that we live in Lakeland, April is joining. She came to the first year we were dating 20 years ago and realized that I'm doing 18 hours a day at the radio station. She doesn't support. She doesn't share my blind devotion to Sun she and bought, Fun. She bought that? She bought that. She bought the 18 hours a day? <laughs> she did. <laughs> so, so she doesn't come out to Sun and Fun because she knows that being here would distract, take me away from being the radio chairman. So she, in, in, in support of As me, opposed to what we all do. <laughs> <laughs> so she actually stayed home in West Palm Beach all these years because she just, there was no, I didn't, I, I love her, but I didn't have time for her during this week. So now that we've moved to Lakeland, she's, she's come out for the night show and she actually finally gets to meet Jack. She met Jeb years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Jeb, Jeb knew she was more than theoretical. Uh, what I, but I, I couldn't convince Jack. And, and she met Jim Goldman. In fact, Jim Goldman and Jack and I were talking last night and I said, Jim Goldman has done something you haven't done. He's met the theoretical April. <laughs> <laughs> so April said, when is Jack going to be there? Because I have to come out and show him I exist. And that was actually her first words to Jack was, see, I do exist. <laughs> All right, la ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I turn control of Sun and Fun Radio Deck over to the voices in your head, Jack Hodgson, Jeb Burnside, and guests here at the Sun and Fun Radio live episode. Very special, very special episode. Special, special. A special, special episode. Um, I will say... I'm a little choked up. Yeah. This is the first time you guys have been on deck without Dave. So yeah, it's very it's very sad. Um, we're, we're gradually getting used to not having uh, Dave Higdon around, who we lost a year ago or nine months ago. And, uh, and uh, anybody who's hearing this live and is in the area, we are going to have a memorial um, gathering. It's going to be we're basically going to do one of our tie down parties, one of our legendary tie down parties. But uh, the theme will be uh, memories of Dave Higdon. That'll start around six o'clock here on the back deck at the radio station. So come on by for that. And uh, we'd love to see you and hear your Dave Higdon stories. And, Jack, I'm going to turn this over to you and step off and spend time with my lovely better half because she's actually here with me. Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't even know where to go with this. But, uh, yeah, okay. It was very nice to meet you. Hi, April. Nice to meet you. And, uh, she, yes, okay. I, I can only get myself in trouble on this, so I'm going to stop right now. There's, there's no Jack H. like our Jack H. That's right. Well, That's the, right. Only, the only question in Amy's mind is, what is that beautiful girl doing with Dave? <laughs> well, yeah. I didn't Thanks, say guys. it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> 
Uh, welcome, folks. Uh, hi. Uh, so he, he named Jeb like, and Amy's here. Amy, yeah. Amy Laboda's here. All right. I mean, it's like, I, I don't know why. I, I, I think it's he thought okay. he was being. I think he thought he was being tactful, but he really didn't. Amy's part of the team. <laughs> Amy's always been part of the team. Um, so, so here's how I want to start. Uh oh. For many episodes now, probably for the better part of a year, we have been periodically revisiting the story about the L.A. jetpack man, all right, or person, okay? This is the mysterious flying jetpack that has repeatedly been cited by airliners on long final to LAX, okay? And everybody's wondering what the heck's going on. Is it a balloon? Is it a remote RC? Is it a what is it, okay? Here's the thing, okay? Um, you're going br- to break this case wide open? I right am going to break this case wide open. I'm going to start out, though, by a little bit of a... It's actually kind of apropos of the situation we're in here. Any, uh, Doctor Who fans? I can't even imagine you two are Doctor Who fans. You're a Doctor oh, Who yeah. fan, okay? All right. Does this put you in mind of the TARDIS, the control panel? So they have a brand new um, um, works, you know, kind of announcer stand here on the deck. It's really impressive, very impressive. Um, but it, it, at its heart, it's a it's a, a hexagonal six sided. I just repeated myself. I know. Don't don't. All right. Um, uh, counter. Um, with a kind of raised thing in the middle, and there's all kinds of electronics hanging in the middle, and there's things you can reach in. All it lacks is like some some like throttle levers and some plumbing, you know. And uh, but it's basically a picture picture the control panel in the TARDIS. All right, and that's where we are right now. This is mm-hmm. the TARDIS. I've been wor- now ever since I saw this 24 hours ago. I've been been just racking my brain for some sort of sun and fun radio joke that involves being bigger on the inside. I can't do it, but. Anyways, okay. I'm barbarians. I'm surrounded I, I, by barbarians. <laughs> he gets it, and that's that's good enough for me. Okay. So now we got that out of the way. TARDIS, space travel, flying jetpack. All right. The Pentagon has announced that there is apparently an alien mothership. I'm serious. No, they have not announced that. They said there is a possibility. Pentagon announced that there is a an alien mothership out on the fringes of our solar system, and it's sending little things in to investigate us. Okay, and I'm thinking the Pentagon did not say that. I'm thinking that say that. I'm thinking that the L.A. jetpack guy, all right, is one of the. Have you have you been drinking again today? Is this April first? No, I'm so confused. Have you yeah. been drinking this afternoon? Uh, April first no, comes no. later. What the Pentagon said, and it was one guy at the Pentagon who may or may not still have his job. Well, it's always one guy. This is like that's how we get the that's truth. That's how it starts. I don't know, but it's one guy. He says he basically said he wouldn't be the least bit surprised. Ah, well, there you go. See, if if there was some alien mothership outside of our solar system that was sending probes. Well, duh, I wouldn't be surprised either. Wait a minute. But you I'm, not, be surprised. I'm not at the Pentagon. You wouldn't be surprised. How no. would we be the least bit surprised? How would we know? <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't know. But so, I don't think he's going to take the form of a guy in a, in a jetpack jet near LAX. <laughs> well, no, that's just, well, no, what better way to disguise the fact that you've got this, this remote alien, you know, sensor 
maybe not show it. Have you seen <laughs> <laughs> on the final in the LIX? You know, I mean, there's that there's that famous the the, the Star Wars um, droid, the the uh, observation droid. It looks like a looks a little bit like a I don't know what it looks like. It looks like a a, a jellyfish kind of thing, only made out of metal. And it, it, Jack, honey, that's Hollywood. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not real. Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, coming to you from the TARDIS here in Lakeland, Florida. We're on the deck of Sun and Fun Radio, and uh, and and we're 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 enjoying the uh, 2023 version of the Sun and Fun Fly-In, which is yes. just great. It's just yes. uh, it, it's very very nice. The weather's great. Um, There's plenty of people here. Uh, all the people you want to see, all the vendors you want to see are here. Yeah, come on down. There was, there was only an hour that I was in meltdown mode today. Yeah, okay. That's not bad. Well, yeah, I think no, it's, it's better than it's going to be. It's good. I want to, uh, uh, first of all, let me just officially say hi to my two good friends here. Uh, Jeb Burnside's here. Hi, Jeb. What's going on? How you doing? Nothing much. Uh, hanging out with some good friends and uh, looking at the air show, watching the air show yeah. and uh, yeah. um, looking at airplanes and hey, it's sun and fun. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, spring and, in Florida. And Amy Labote is here. Hi, Amy. How are you doing? I am doing wonderfully today. This yeah. was this was the first year of my official complete retirement. Yeah. And But you uh, came here anyways. I, yeah, I did. You actually did came not. here for us and I appreciate I that. I did. That was, yes. That it's was very true. good of you. We're, but I had a lovely day. Yeah. I had a What'd you do? Did you see anything with fun? A friend. I had lunch with a friend. Uh, I saw some interesting things. Um some some new engines out there. Uh, some new ideas. Uh, saw a lot of people recruiting for companies. There's apparently, yeah, a lot of that you going know? on. I, uh, yeah, they 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 uh, they dragooned me into doing a, an, an interview here at the radio station. I was happy to do it, but they they suddenly had someone who needed interviewing, and there was nobody around to do the interview. So they said, "Can you talk to this guy?" Um, and it was a representative from PSA Airlines. And the big story for PSA Airlines here this week is that they are hiring, and they're very they're they're you know really really reaching out to try and find people. Apparently, this is a thing around the whole industry. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah, it, it's been very cool. And I've seen some people I saw recently at another conference, like, you know, making eye contact and going, oh, yeah, I sat with you, you know, three weeks ago in Long Beach. That was so cool. You know, and, and I know that person's a flight Oh, from the instructor. WAI thing, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, and, and running in to JROTC kids. There were a lot of those out here today. And some air cadets. Yeah, a lot of those out here today. So I would say that the energy on the younger side yeah. was kind of, it was the place vibrates a little bit. I, with I would that. agree. There, there, I had a chance to walk through the, the exhibit hangers, the display hangers earlier, and uh, I, I was struck by how many flight training organizations, and especially flight training organizations affiliated with air carriers, are present in the hangars this year. Uh, and I, I, you know, it's not a momentous thing. It's just something I remarked on. Um, it's it's indicative of uh, everything that's been going on in the industry over the last few years. That is absolutely true. And we are not even seeing the career fair going on. No. Because that's in another place where it's air conditioned. And they probably won't let us in. Nah, they'd let us in, but we're not dressed for it. Well, we're, over, we're all over 65, I think. 
they'd still let us in and uh, know I'm whoa. not okay. over all 65. Right. See, there you go. Thank now you uh, very much. All right. Yeah. Uh, 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 Burnside, B-U-R. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I felt like walking up and say, oh, hey, you know, I've got a multi-ATP, but I can't, you know, do you take anybody that's over 65? Oh, they, you know, they'd be, oh, well, you go away, leave us alone. You know? <laughs> well, they're about to raise the age again. so oh, that's No, they're not. And they'll do it a baby on my 67th birthday. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. One bit of a, a podcast. Uh, this is almost trivia. I don't know. I, I've talked, I've shared this story with a few people, and they all kind of look at me like, yeah, so. But I think this is notable, and so I want to tell this story real quickly. But you've become used to that. Yeah, I, you know. <laughs> hey, listen. Tardis, alien motherships. Ask me if I care. Okay, uh, I know what I know what our people want. Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, here's the deal: uncontrolled airspace. We've been doing this podcast for I don't know, 15, 16 years, something like that. All right. In the early days of the podcast, we uh, and so every episode of the podcast has a number associated with it. All right. Um, it's and it's kind of an, but it's not really a numerical number. It hasn't been a numerical count of episodes since the very, very early days. All right, um, somewhere around 200, it kind of veered off. And part of the reason it veered off is for for reasons like um, all when we do dailies, when we do multiple short episodes at these shows, they'll have one number and a letter uh, uh, after it. Okay, and so so as a result, the number that's associated with an episode doesn't tell you how many episodes there have been. Okay, so um, and and we sort of stopped. I anyway st- stopped paying attention to how many episodes there have been, um, but um, and then we were coming up on that sort of artificial number five hundred, um, and we were actually getting ready to do a little bit of a celebration about about the so-called episode five hundred, um, and then the pandemic hit, and it, it wasn't possible for us to to gather to do that, and so we arbitrarily decided let's just like. Hunt and, and and so we jumped from episode 499 to episode 1001. All right, which kind of aggravated the whole idea. You almost that, need a TARDIS for that. Yeah, <laughs> bigger on the inside. Very good, Jeb. We'll make you a Hoovian before you know, before we're done. Here. I might I might fight you on that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. So we don't know what how many episodes have really been because the numbers are weird, and I did that for whatever reason. It's, it's right? a shame that we don't have some producer who's been with the podcast since it is, since its inception so, who could maybe track this data for so us. So a few months back, I had some time on my hands, and I sat down and went through all of the old archives and all the lists of episodes, and I basically counted all of the episodes. And, and, and I decided to actually count every of like the daily episodes as an entire, as an episode under itself. So, so then, so the question then became how many episodes have there been? Basically how many episodes with a title? All right. What's the total count? All right. And what is it? This episode right here, this episode right here is the 700th episode Nice. Uh, airspace is ever posted. All right, and uh, I think that's that's kind of cool. That's a nice you know, number. It's like, uh, yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah. So, anyways, it's it's a milestone. It's a milestone. Yeah, seven hundred episodes, and uh, yeah, yes. You know, so now the yeah, we'll, we'll meet you back here at fourteen hundred, right? Yeah, that's what everyone always says to me. <laughs> <laughs> call me, call me when you get to a thousand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Amy, you put on the list um, a story about the NTSB issuing a safety alert about circling approaches. What's that all about? I did, because there's been problems recently, and they wanted to analyze them. 
and they wanted to put something out to remind people that that's a high-risk procedure. Um, can you, for, for those of us who are not instrument rated and not yeah. instrument trained, can you give us like a very you know, terse description of a circling So approach? you're following a magenta line, and it's taking you right to the runway, except you're going to stop descending at some point, um, and you're going to circle to the other runway. But that's not on the magenta line at all. Yeah. Uh-huh. By the so, magenta line, you mean some extended runway center line. Yeah, you're 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 on an approach course. Yep. That magenta line might also be mimicking the ILS. Um, it could be an LDA. Uh, it, but but in any case, you're following a beam towards yep. the runway, and you can track it beautifully, right down straight line, until you can't anymore. And now you're visual, and you're supposed to stay visual through the whole procedure. Now, yep. you're not at a normal approach altitude, typically. Sometimes you're as low as 600 feet above the runway while you're making this circle. And sometimes you're not just going from, you know, 90 degrees from one runway to another runway. It's not 90 degrees. Think about that. It's a, it's, it's a big turn yep. you're trying to make. Yep. Sometimes you're trying to go all the way around 180 degrees to the other side of the airport. And, and oh, by the way, you're having it's instrument conditions because that's why you're shooting an instrument right. approach. Right. right. And it could okay. be dark. It could be turbulent. It could be raining. There could be stuff. obstacles nearby okay. that are keeping you very tight. It's not a pretty thing to do. It's not something you should do lightly, and it's certainly not something you should do if you haven't practiced them much. Okay. So um, now, what's the what what sort of things have they alerted people to be careful about? All of what I just said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pretty yeah. much, because we've had some nasty business aircraft accidents in the last five years and these have supposedly been atp rated jet pilots um turbine rated pilots who are the cream of the crop and they're not around to talk about it now yeah okay so and and the question was what happened there this was uh, like Burbank or something with a challenge. Well, there's more than one. Yeah. There was Truckee. Um, there was San Diego. There's circling approaches in Truckee. I know a little bit about the terrain oh, yeah. in Truckee. I, I wouldn't, yeah, yeah. In a jet. Real? Oh. Yeah. Truckee is in a bowl surrounded mm-hmm. by mountains up in, the, up in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Yeah. But so is John C. Toon in Tennessee outside of Nashville. Right. Yep. And I've had to do a circling approach there. And I can tell you, even in a 182, you'll get religion. Yes, you, yes, you will. Yes, yeah. you will. Okay. <clears throat> and, you know, some, sometimes the reason for a circling approach could be uh, as simple, as, as ordinary, I should say, as uh, the wind that's exactly isn't why I had fav- to do it that is, day. Isn't favoring the runway you're approaching. I you- had I had a strong tailwind coming in, and I broke out at a thousand feet, and at eight hundred feet, which shouldn't be so hard in a one eighty two, I pattern altitude essentially, but you still have to keep it in tight because of the ridge line and the okay. towers, you know. And it was it was. Impressive. Not not terribly complicated. Not a tough airplane to do it in. And I and it turned out just fine. But one of the more challenging approaches that yeah. you can possibly have to do. 
and Atlantic City was one airport, was famous for being a black hole airport, and was a real problem airport if you had to do a circle to land. Um, but they are permitted approaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely legal. And it's yeah. Charted. Yeah, no, I, I, and there's, I, there's minima for yeah. it on the plate. Yeah. I mean, as a non-instrument-rated pilot, though, I've always heard stories about circling approaches are kind of nervous-making and... and yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. You need to know your airplane. You need to know your minima. You need to know your speeds because they change based on the type of aircraft. Okay. And you need to know your own capabilities. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you need to know when and how and where to begin your missed approach when yes. you can't get in. Correct. And you, as, as a corollary, you need to know... What your alternatives is. Yeah. What your alternatives are. Oh, it, if you lose sight of the runway at any point during the circle. You're supposed to go, go uh, uh, miss. And, yeah. Okay. Does the, What form does this safety alert take? Is this something that will, is there going to be, I don't know. Yeah. It's, so literally they've. It's a multi-page document issued by the NTSB. Same guy that did the mothership thing? Sorry, that was Pentagon versus. Yeah. I'm sorry, callbacks. <laughs> no, that's going to be same, the epi- same government, but that's about where at the end. This episode's N- name is going to be callbacks are us. <laughs> okay, okay. NTSB alerts are like service bulletins. There's not a lot of teeth in them in terms of regulatory, but they're out there, and often an NTSB alert might trigger something regulatory. Okay, exactly right. All right, cool. It's a beautiful afternoon here in Lakeland, yeah, Florida. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, this is about as nice as weather as you'll see. Um, it's been kind of broken clouds, uh, uh, most, uh, mostly cloudy, but that means that the sun, we got a lot of shade from the clouds. Um, but it was bright enough that it's a nice day and there's a little bit of a breeze. Um, the, the day air show has concluded and uh, it's quiet. I don't can't tell whether they're letting, they must be letting um, departures happen out there. We can't quite see it from New York. Yeah, I can hear. Either. I've got a low rumble but, uh, that, that but, uh, makes me feel like the, departures uh, are happening. The crowd here um, after the daily air show is larger than it usually is because everyone is uh, remaining around for the night air show, the first of two night air shows here at Sun and Fun 2023. And uh, um, that's going to be a lot of fun. That'll happen in uh, about an hour and a half, oh, no, about an hour from now, actually. About um, when the sun goes down. Well, actually, I think it starts a little earlier than that. I think the official start time is like 7.09 or something like that. Um, that would seem to be early. Yeah. yeah I think it's closer to 8. But yeah, maybe, no? You may be right. I thought someone told me 7.09 was the official start because they do like twi- twilight thing. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Jeb's going to be difficult. Twilight that's is the name. lovely. That's going to be, yes, that's going to be the name of the episode. Jeb is difficult. All right. You know. Which everybody do going into. And then what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Right, right. Flash. Amy, does your airplane have a Rotax engine in it? No, it does not. It does not. Okay. So, so, but, uh, so, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how to segue into this story. Uh, Rotax announced a 160 horsepower version. That, yeah. That's new? Is that a... Th- uh, yeah. Um, w- what were they before? What was the highest horsepower engine they had before? Does anybody know? 120, maybe? Okay. Yeah, 120 that maybe you could get 140 out of, but but 160 is That's something. That's a big step. Yeah, 160 uh, is for four-seater airplanes. Uh-huh. And that, one more time, 160 is something. Yeah. yeah. You know, in, in, in a water-cooled engine yeah, with is, electronic ignition. And, and, you know, Rotax, at least a- aircraft engines, 912, 914, there's suffixes, et cetera, et cetera. This is the 916. 
916. Okay. Yeah. They've really come a long way, Rotax. They uh, they have. They're very um, popular. They've got, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of followers, a lot of operators. And, and they I have a big presence here at Sound yeah. Fun also. And I would submit that's because they've done a lot of things right over the years. And uh, I wouldn't disagree with that. You know? Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, we'll have to find someone who has a Rotax, though. Uh, 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 oh, that's right. Jim's the guy. Maybe we'll get Jim in here at some point to ask, uh, or a future episode to talk about big Rotaxes. They're, they're in a lot of airplanes right now, and there are some that are coming out one more time that are four-seaters or what we might call um, big two-seaters. Big LSAs. Is big this, LSAs. Is this the Mosaic uh, yes. uh, certification thing? Yes. Yes, it's oh, ready okay. for all of that. I see. All right. All right. Um, so there was a, so a video on the Internet, and now I'm gonna, we're going to talk about a video that even not, we can't look at, all right? But I'm going to try and describe it to you. Um, video on the Internet about um, a student and a constructor. Um, I don't exactly know the nature of the training flight. I get the feeling that it was a, not a primary student. It was more of an advanced student. Um, but they were flying this aircraft that I think was a twin, but that's not important to the story. The point is that they were flying the airplane, and apparently there was some sort of wind noise or something. So, the, so we got the student in the left seat the instructor in the right seat the um, there's some sort of wind noise coming from the left door this aircraft has sort of wing rising wing gull wing kind of d- doors okay and the, and, he, and they're hearing some wind noise here oh no that's it, right it wasn't wind noise it was um, a sensor was indicating the door was not closed okay um, and so uh, the instructor thought this is just the, the sensors not hasn't seated right it's like and so he told the student to kind of jiggle the door and that that would set the sensor okay so the student went over and went to jiggle the door and ended up pulling the lever sufficiently that the door unlatched and opened i hate when that happens yeah um and uh, this is all on video because the i guess the student pilot was wearing a, some sort of point of view camera um so we actually see this happening like the door is open all right and you're seeing out you know right out there and i, I thought i saw the engine out. that's why i thought it was a twin but uh, you're seeing right out there and the door is like flapping in the wind and they're all you know talking to each other and go oh you know door open and so they uh, so the student reaches out and tries to muscle the door back closed again all right, but that's a really hard thing under any circumstance. But apparent, and he what couldn't get it closed enough to latch it, but he he apparently got it closed enough, and he was just holding on to it while the instructor landed the airplane, and everything fine. They they but door door open door, you know, in in a fairly dramatic fashion. Um, well, I'm impressed it didn't fly away. Oh, uh, I know, huh? Yeah. Um, Gullwing doors can do that. I, w- I would imagine they could. Um, yeah, uh, doors open in flight for you in the past? Well, I've had airplanes where you could open the doors in flight, and they were actually gullwing doors. My Kifox, you could fly sure. with, the do- with the doors open. It, yeah. it, you could pin the doors up, and you could fly it that way, although I wouldn't fly it very fast that way because I'd look out and I'd see the doors doing this yeah. under the wing. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little unnerving. Yep. So you needed you need to keep it keep it under sixty. It, <laughs> which really wasn't that hard with the kit box. With the kit box, yeah. Um you definitely don't want that to happen on the R V ten or the R V uh fourteen series anything that has the doors that open like this. Uh, Raise, she's raising her hands. <laughs> it's like up. radio Amy radio. Up. Yeah, up. Okay. Because uh, those doors do depart the airplane 
if they come open. Yeah, okay. Um, but then there are a lot of other doors, like and probably the take out the doors. empanage on their way, right? Not necessarily. It's amazing how stuff is moving up there. You okay. know, all right. Nothing's nothing's where it was <laughs> a split second later. Um, but it does. Ma- it's incredibly noisy. <laughs> Yeah, I would imagine. I, would I imagine. don't know by experience, but yeah. I've been told. Um, the other one is I had the door handle on a Cessna 182 come off in the passenger's hand. So the door popped open, and I said, oh, you can just, you know, you can just close that. And she went, with this? <laughs> That's always confidence-inspiring. I said, so, okay, maybe you can't just close it. Just, you're fine. You're not going to fall out. You get a seatbelt on. We'll be there soon. Yeah. And, I, and and it's fine. Those doors, the slipstream tends to hold them hold them in position, so it's no big deal. A very, a very experienced <laughs> pilot friend of mine used to tell the story about how he was flying in a friend's... Um, uh, I'm blanking on Cessna. Um, Cessna-like. Um, it's the one with the funky gear that kind of flopped down out of the side here. Uh, 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 ca- car- Cardinal? Cardinal? Cardinal. Cardinal. Cardinal R- RG. RG. Cardinal RG. There we go. All right. So they're flying in the in the front. So so it's my friend and another acquaintance, but they they were flying together. All right. And um, um, returning to the airport, they get a, a, a gear warning. All right. The gear didn't go down. Okay. And so. They're doing all the things that you do to try and make the gear go down, right? and it wasn't going down. And so the guy whose airplane it was, who, by the way, is also a skydiver, all right, which tells you a little bit about, I don't know, A, his you know, good sense, uh, but at the very least it tells you a little bit about his fear of heights, okay? He said, he said I'm going to, you fly the airplane, I'm going to lean, and, and, he, and he reaches into the back and he gets the, the tow bar, for the airplane, all right? He says, you fly the airplane. I'm going to lean out and poke at the gear, right? And my friend, my friend's telling this story going, I wasn't wild about this idea, you know? And, uh, but he did this. They had the door open in flight, and, he, and the, the parachutist, you know, guy who owns the airplane is leaning out the door, pushing at the gear, trying to figure out whether they're actually, you know, locked in place. And apparently they concluded that they were, and they landed uneventfully. But my friend always was like... You know, I was not happy with him leaning out the door like this. This was not. You know. um, Jeb, any doors open, windows open? You have a classic window open story. I have a classic window open story. Uh, it involves our uh, our dear beloved late colleague, uh, Dave Higdon. Uh, I'll, I'll tell it quickly. Um, we're droning across uh, New Mexico at 11,000 feet on our way. Turned out to be El Paso that evening. And uh, we had... We'd been aloft for a couple of three hours, and, you know, we kind of run out of things to talk about. So we're, we're droning along. I'm kind of looking out the left side of the plane and, and all this kind of thing. And all of a sudden, there's this huge whooshing noise, like the airplane's coming apart. And I turn and look, and Dave's opened the storm window yep. next to him and is poking his camera out the window to take pictures. Sure. Of course, like, like one does. Dave Higdon. Dave Higdon. And uh, I watched him take a couple of pictures, and he pulled his camera back inside and closed the storm window. And, and, uh, you know, hey, that's great. I'm glad you got that shot, dude. But, you know, next time you might want to tell the pilot (laughs) before you do that. But Uh, but I've had other years. I was not a pilot at the time. I was behind a gopher. 
but I was in the right seat of a 182. My father was in the left seat. And we're somewhere over Missouri. Um, don't know the altitude. Um, his door pops open, which is new, a new experience for me. Uh-huh. And he said, well, we can't go on like this, so I'm going to have to try to close this door. And uh, he says, you fly the airplane. <laughs> which I couldn't even see over the, the, the top of the uh, instrument panel. This is a 182, relatively tall instrument panel. I can't see over it. Yeah, well, I can you, see know. It. you know, I can see out the window. I can see out the side window. It's all right. It's log, all right. It, yeah. log it as simulated instrument. Log it as simulated instrument. And he leaned out. Um, well, now that I think about it, it's like, <clears throat> but um, he leaned out and sh- you know, shouldered the, the door, grabbed the handle, and slammed it shut and got it shut. We didn't have to land. Yeah. And I was, you know. Dad knew what he was doing. He, he knew what he was doing, yeah. yeah. I did not know what he was doing. That was, that was, yeah, well, that was part of the. Probably for the best. Yeah, yeah probably yeah, exactly, for the best. Exactly. Anyways. All right. But windows are another issue. Yeah. Moving on here. What's next here? Um, I saw this on the internet, so it must be true. It must be true. All right. Um, correct me. So airplane tires do not have tread on them like our car tires have tread on them. Correct. All right. That our car tires have all sorts of weird tread patterns for a variety of reasons. But according to the internet, airplane tires only have tread that basically goes around the tire. Straight tread. And it, and it goes, I'm making a circle symbol. It's just, just grooves, just grooves in, right. the, in the tire, and they're not aligned with the direction of rotation. Aligned, exactly. Thank you. Good description. All right. Um, and so the internet was puzzling over the fact that this seemed counterintuitive. First of all, the fact that it didn't have very much tread. Um, and second of all, the fact that the tread was oriented the way you described didn't seem like it would aid with. So mostly an airplane is going to be braking, you know, wants traction forward and back for braking purposes, okay? Um, and you would think that if you wanted good traction for forward and back, you'd want sideways grooves, okay? Jeb's saying, Jeb's making a, I don't think so, um, I'm, expression. I'm, no, I, please continue. Well, and so what they what the story went on to point out is that it's one of these oddities of physics, all right, and that the having the tread oriented that way does in fact make for better traction forward and back, and in fact makes for less traction, makes it slipperier for sideways motion, which is kind of something that you often want in an airplane if you're going to maybe land not quite straight, all right. Um, so that's what I saw on the internet, and this doesn't seem to be exciting you guys very much. Does no, this make I, sense? Or? I, I, it, it makes sense, and it's not the first time I've, I've heard or, or, or been part of a discussion about that. The other thing going on, um, I believe this is true, is that uh, the, the, the I call them concentric grooves or, or, or okay. whatever. Yep. I like that. Um, helps um, squeegee water out from under the tire when you're at higher speed. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you're familiar with hydroplaning, sure. And uh, those kinds of grooves are designed, in fact, in part, anyway, to help get water out from under the tire, the contact patch of the tire. Yeah. And runways typically are not the same as roads. This is also true. You're not going to be making like a high-speed turn unless you got a whole different set of problems uh, on a runway. Yeah. Um, and um, um, you obviously were going to want to try to maintain a straight 
uh, uh, travel path, yeah. down, up and down the runway, whichever, and aligning the grooves in the tire with the direction of, of travel is part of that process. Okay. No, that makes oh, sense. Yeah. That makes sense. I just thought it was interesting that, that uh, I hadn't really ever considered the fact that airplane tires have this kind of unique, I mean, non-automotive tread to them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, okay. Some of them don't even have that. Some I of mean, them. you just look at the big, big balloon yeah. tires. Yeah. Um, moving on here, if I can get my computer to actually open this link. Um, one, one, one other thing about airplane tires while you're doing that. Yeah. Um, a lot of people... Uh, believe that the tire sees the greatest stress on landing. Typically, that's not true, unless you know, unless it's one of my landings, of course. <laughs> but typically, um, a given tire will experience the most stress on takeoff. And the reasons for that are, A, the airplane's heavier at takeoff. B, it's going faster before it leaves the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay. On landing, the airplane doesn't weigh as much. The landing gear itself helps absorb some of the shock of, of touching down. Um, and you're not going as fast. Um, it take off the heat generated by the friction of the tire rotating at that speed is part of the problem. Also, that helps prematurely age the tires. I learned all this from a Goodyear guy years ago. Yeah. It's always struck me as remarkable. The, amount, the, the, the moment that a tire touches down for the first time has got to be an incredibly, you know, stressful moment. I mean, it's like because the, the tire goes from zero to, you know, whatever, you, you 120 see, miles or 100 miles the, an hour. Yeah, you see the tire spin up from zero to nothing, I mean, yeah. to zero from, from to 100 or whatever. You see airlines, you know, you see the puff of smoke behind it yeah and all that kind of thing and certainly you wear tread away in in those in those instances yeah but that's not what really damages the tire over the long run mm-hmm. yeah once or twice i've been had the opportunity to be in an airliner a high-wing airliner in, a, win, in a window seat a high wing. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um in a, in a window seat where i could watch the gear which was kind of fascinating and i remember just i said i want to see this happen all right you know and then the moment where that gear hits the hits the ground is kind of a dramatic little moment also the way the the, uh, the struts compress and uh, it's it's a, a a fairly violent seeming moment and uh, yeah those engineers uh, really really depends on your pilot but i understand okay yeah all right jeb raises his hand <laughs> yeah yeah uh so um faa reports a series i mean sir, I, I, this is a good thing i'm, I'm it's not a joke all right as uh, faa has determined they've done some studies and counted up some things and basic med is working um this is pretty cool it is um, pretty cool you know i mean we I, I'd like to say that those of us who were fans of it from the beginning kind of suspected it would be successful um, because we saw similar kind of statistics come out of Sport Pilot for years and, and, and whatnot. But, but, the, but there's actual data now that, uh, that Basic Med has been, you know, a, um, it, it's effective. The, the, the phraseology I saw was there's no difference in uh, accidents. There's no difference in fatal accidents. There's no difference in medical uh, related uh, events involving pilots with a third-class medical or with basic med. And that's all we really need to know. And this has been, a, what, a 10-year-plus study? Yeah. How long has ba- basic, basic med? We've had basic it? med for almost 10, 10 years. Has it been at least, 10 years? At least five years. Uh, well, it has been gonna... actually now that I stopped thinking about it because I got basic med almost five years ago. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, 2017. Was it 17? Okay, so I six so. six years. 
I thought it'd been longer. It seems like it, it seems like I I did it. It's a shame it we don't have some device. Yeah, I know. And normally use. we don't. I can barely operate my mouse here. I'm having I, I, struggling I, with my computer. I'm today. so sorry. The, yeah. These are kind of. I know somebody who started right at the very very beginning, and it was May 2017. Okay. Sticks in my. Head, well, there you go. So. That's the answer then. Yeah. All right. Um, 2016. I'm being corrected. Right. Yep. Se- seven years. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways. You know, anybody who's been considering basic med, it's it's a good idea. Um, and I did the process a few years back. It's a pretty straightforward process. And, uh, you know, you got to be take it seriously, though, because remember, you are self-certifying in a big a big part of it. Is a, is a self- I mean, we're always self-certifying. Even youth class, you know, third class medical people are self-certifying. All right. But, you know, there's a I, I think there's a temptation in basic med to think that, you know, it's like, OK, I, I passed the test and now I'm good to go. Right. And I don't need to be, you know, and that's not true. You're always self-certifying. You're always make sure that you're safe. Um, Even with class three, class two, or class one, you're always self-certifying because FAA doesn't know. They kind of sort of care, right. but they can't know. There's no way for them to know that you got a flu bug. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and every, any given your, flight. Your, your you nasal could, passages are clogged yeah. up and you shouldn't be at altitude. Yeah. So As an example. Yeah. So anyways, that's good news, I think, anyways. Um, what did I have here? Uh, Jeb. Pilot associations team up calling single pilot ops something. The whatever the rest of the the headline was got chopped off here. Oh, oh, oh! oh this is a this threat is, to safety. That's what the rest that's, of it is. That's, this is uh, airline operations. Yeah, right. Airline operations. And and um, did we? I don't know if we talked about it or not. Well, all right. So, but but but, but, but what, what I'm getting at is it's been a month or so uh, when uh, ICAO, I believe was considering resolutions, was considering policy drafts regarding um, not so much single pilot operations, but uh, operations where maybe there's two pilots aboard, but maybe one of them's not in the cockpit for an extended period, like he or she is resting, okay? And he or she goes back to the cockpit, and and the, the, the first pilot who was at the controls then goes back and rests also. There are two pilots aboard, but they're not both in the, in the cockpit at the same time. That's a jumping off place to fully single pilot operations. And that's what ICAO was considering back several weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Maybe a couple of months. I don't remember. Right. Well, and that and, eliminates that third pilot that they have to take on a lot of these flights, right. alternate crews. But this, what you're talking about is ALPA, IFALPA. And some other organization, uh, IFALPA is International Federation of Airline Pilots. Uh, thank you. And ALPA, American-based uh, Airline Pilots Association, and maybe APA, the American organization, American Airlines organization, uh, Allied Pilots Association. I don't remember all the acronyms that were involved in this, but they basically came out very, very strongly in a united fashion against single pilot operations, basically of any kind. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I was the one, and it felt at the time, I'm kind of smirking here, that uh, that I was saying single pilot, airline pilot thing is just a bad idea, and I wasn't going to ride in one of those airplanes. And uh, um, I felt like you guys are going, no, it's fine. They can fly them all by themselves. They do already, you said. They, they, what I, what it was I, her, as a matter of fact. Now that I stop and think about it, you, say, you pointed out that there's a lot of single pilot ops already. What, what, I think what we both said is that there are a huge number of single pilot operations, just not with air carriers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, she and I are single pilots frequently um, in our operations, and and 
perhaps there's not even anybody around to take notes okay. on, on right. what happens next. Uh, right. you know. Nobody's sentient anyway. Yeah. Um, but, all right. But uh, single pilot ops happen all the time, just not with, you know, 300 passengers behind you. Okay. So... Is there anything more out of this story? I mean, that's redundancy. If if you're gonna put all those people in one place, you know, and you're gonna put two engines on the airplane, and you're gonna go certify it for ETOPS, and you're gonna do all these other things, why are you not being redundant with your crew? Right. That's yeah. the argument. There, there was an episode. It's been maybe a year or so now. Uh, flight took off out of some airport. I want to say. New Orleans, but it wasn't New Orleans. It, maybe it is Dallas, DFW. Took off out of DFW. Um, the left seat pilot on this in this 121 operation was um, uh, still under IOE, initial operating experience, and it, this might have been his first flight um, um, after training. The, the pilot in the right seat was the examiner. He was a, a, I forget what the exact term is, but he was basically a check pilot. Shortly after takeoff, the left seater collapsed. Right. And if my recollection is correct, he, he died in the cockpit. I believe that's what it was. Yeah, we talked about this last episode, I think. Was it last episode? I think so, yeah. Because um, I got to use the airplane thing as the graphic. on the, the, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, um, so, but the... Uh, you know, have the fish. That was the story yeah, last time. It was a different episode, though. Because the, the one I'm thinking about in Dallas was several yeah, yeah, months ago. Yeah, okay. But yep. anyway... Um, the comment I made at the time, and it might not have been on the podcast, might have been somewhere else, was that this episode is going to serve both sides of this argument. Mm-hmm. Because a single pilot was able to to land the airplane, take it all the way around, land the airplane safely without any drama. Even if you listen, if if you listen to the um, the radio communications, he was calm, cool, collected, just like he practiced this in the simulator, which he might Probably have done. Probably did, right? But the other side of the of the equation, the other side of the policy debate, is going to say, see, you know, this is why we need two pilots in case one of them uh, uh, conks out. One of them is, is, is incapacitated. And it's, it's just you're not going to win that argument with anybody. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, finally, I think, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, Amy, you called our attention to the fact that United, I believe you mean United Airlines, yeah, United Airlines is uh, going to get into the, uh, the uh, what do they call it, Urban Airlift UA? Yeah. EVTOL. EVTOL. Yeah. They're, gonna, they're hooking up with somebody, they're going to try and get into the business of doing um, shuttle flights, local shuttle flights, I guess. What's the story? Do you have it in your uh, head? Yeah, I, I, I think I do. Uh, they announced this week that in Chicago, by 2025, they'll be moving people from downtown Chicago to the airport via EVTOL. Yep. As so part of your ticket. One of these uh, these multi-copter kind of... Uh... Hey, multi-copter. You're cute. Yes, there are many rotors. <laughs> multi-rotors. Many rotors, many worlds. Multi... What did I say? I meant to say multi-rotor. All right, yeah, yeah. multi-copter. They uh, are also many, many engines, and yeah, they're okay. electric. Yeah. yeah. They're vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. Yeah, yeah. Why? So here's been my question, and I'm a huge proponent of electric-powered everything. All right, and I and and, and I, it seems inevitable that electric-powered air is in the future for powering aircraft, even even conventional, you know, fixed-wing, single-engine or, or or that kind of aircraft. Um, 
So, so we've got all this excitement about these, 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 these urban, you know, multi-rotor electric things, right? My question is, why are, are they really holding for us? I don't know. I don't. They, they just hap- they just pulled this up. This actually happens. I should explain. So one of the really cool things here at Sun and Fun is there's this there's apparently it's an it's the remnants of a 747 engine. All right, um, and they've put wheels on it and it rides around the grounds and plays music and makes a lot of noise. Um, and and there have been episodes in the past where it rolled by while we were doing this and, and loud music, loud music. And I actually I always go I like it. There we go. <laughs> there's the jet engine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the club next door. They're entertaining the club next door. Um, but uh, And we suddenly realized that they may have were holding back there. I don't know yeah, why. Yeah, I, I think they are. Yeah, so and we may hear them again. Um, multi-rotor, everyone's excited, going to turn into urban transport, going to jump around town. How? That's a really cool thing. I wish, it, we, it I wish people could I want, see this. I want one. Yeah. Uh, support Young Eagles. Uh, yeah, look it up on, on DuckDuckGo or Google or whatever your preferred search engine is um, and see this big uh, 747 engine that rolls around sun and fun grounds. It's very cool. Very impressive. My goodness. Uh, why... Is the, are these multi-rotor electric things going to be more successful as a business than... There have been helicopters doing these kind of missions forever. Why? Uh, all right. You guys just looked at each other like, see, I told you. Well, that's a very good point. There used to be a scheduled helicopter operation uh, from the top of the Pan Am building in downtown New York. Yeah. Until one of them crashed. Okay. And uh, I don't remember all the details, but I do know that some rotor parts hit the street. And people. And people. Yeah. It so was messy. It was, it was, it was messy. It was like 1963. Oh, you guys, like thank that. you so much for the visual. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm, you know. But why? So don't, don't these multi-rotor electric UA whatever things have More the same problem? More than one. Like nine or okay. ten. Yeah, so you think depends. that you think they're less? They're, you think these are going to be safer? Is that what you're yeah. saying? All right, maybe, yeah. probably. Jeb, maybe. The problem. Um, any of these are going to be closer to a drone when it comes to its its avionics and its equipment and its operation than the Chinook that fell off the top of the Pan Am building back in 1963 or whatever it was. Um, that was uh, a, a turbine-powered um, um, hydraulic systems, all the stuff. Um, no, no automation of any sort uh, involved. Type of operation. Um, will these these EVTOLs uh, be safer? Probably. Okay. We don't know, we don't know yet. But that's only line. part of the question. That's the other, only part of the question. Part of the, the other part of will the, they be more efficient? Oh, definitely. Well, will they will they engender trust in the passenger public? Is you yet know, to be determined. Right. Because if they, what, if they have two pilots, because what you're suggesting is that is that helicopters are not a widely used way of getting around town, not simply because they're very expensive, but because people are scared of them. Um. No, I think it has to do more with the pricing. Yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's not cheap. So we've, we've, just, we've just lost the connection to the one that fell off the building, though. Well, that was in a different day and time. Yeah, okay. Um, so Fuel was cheaper, for one. Right. And um, the, the economics of that yeah. were, were different. So we think the EV tolls are going to be safer, cheaper, 
m- more comfortable for the they're going flying to be public. highly automated. Well, that they're, they're going okay. to be very quiet relative to. We just moved away from people are going to feel comfortable in them. If well, you ask me. this this is kind of sort of where I'm headed. Remember which people? Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, yeah. Younger which? people are much happier with high, with a lot of automation. Okay, now that's there's some truth to that. I and can, I can believe that. Um, it has to be proven. It, it, it remains to be seen as the punchline. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. But what? 2025 is actually very close. And that was exciting because that says to me these companies are already in their proving stage. Yeah. It is impressive that a big organization like United is willing to sign up for this. Well, this is United, of course, and they brought us TED, uh, <laughs> which was, you know, United without you and I. Or United. <laughs> United. So, yeah, we, I remember the day when United was the gold standard for airline travel. I mean, they... The fly the friendly sky. Yeah, I mean, it was just like, I, in, you know, I mean, maybe it's just my world. But in my world, you just all, everything was compared to United. United was just great. Um, and uh, I've had occasion to fly United recently, and it's not quite that anymore. It's not been the... None of them are what they used to be. Yeah, well, I guess that's true, too. And, and, and uh, you know, so, but... And... Okay, great. So we got an automated, uh, highly high, high tech uh, device here that, or machine, I should say, that uh, uh, is powered by multiple electric motors and you know storage batteries and, and these kinds of things. Again, it's highly automated. It's got GPS and it's got flight management systems and it's got autopilots and it's got all this stuff. And you still have the same airport experience. You still get off the thing. Uh, probably not even walk onto a concourse or a jetway. Mm-hmm. You uh, maybe walk across the ramp and climb some stairs and finally do get to the concourse, and it's a madhouse because the weather sucks and everybody's running late or there's not enough air traffic controllers or maybe the pilots haven't for this flight haven't arrived yet, and it's still the same airline experience. So I, I don't think it matters a whole lot. Um, how the craft is powered or how it's all, how well it's automated, I think that needs to have perhaps a better experience than what some of these passengers are used to. Mm-hmm. Final thoughts on this subject, Amy? I'm looking forward to seeing what it can bring. And maybe I can afford to do it, and maybe I can't. But I'm always intrigued. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. always intrigued, and I truly do believe that that's the way things are moving towards. I don't disagree. And that, uh, I think that's it, You know, yeah. close-in inner-city travel uh, is is changing rapidly. Granddaddy, come tell us again about how you used to hand-fly piston-powered airplanes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. I'm looking around here. I'm seeing a, a, a very nice gathering of uh, of what who appear to be uh, UCAP listeners. Uh, hi, hi, hello, everyone. And uh, I'm actually seeing at least two UCAP T-shirts here. It's very cool. Um, yeah, now, now one of them I'm seeing says time spent flying, not subtracted from your lifespan on the back. What Does yours say the same thing? It says something else. Um, we're reaching the end of our allotted time. <laughs> uh, that's the one I was going for there, yeah. Uh, we are reaching the end of our allotted time. I want to thank everybody. Um, it's great to see all these folks, and, uh, and we're going to have to 
we get off the air here, we're going to go to uh, uh, adjourn to the back deck here and uh, and raise a few in in beha- uh, in the memory of our dear friend Barley Pops. Barley Pops, that's what he used to call them, um, and uh, and that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to, to yes. meeting with everybody. Thank you all for coming by here and and and, uh, and keeping us company while we chatted here. Um, uh, a handful of thank yous here. Thank you to Brian. Brian's our engineer back here. All right, yeah, Brian's been our engineer a number of times over the years, and uh, and uh, you know. Usually it's me messing up the audio. This time it's Brian. No, I'm sure it hasn't been messed up at all. It sounds, it sounds good in my ears, and I appreciate that. Thank you, Brian. Um, thank you to all of our friends here at Sun and Fun Radio. They, uh, for 16-plus years here, they, I guess, or about 16 years, um, they have been so welcoming to us. Um, back when, when nobody but us knew what we were doing, they welcomed us in here, and we started doing episodes from... We knew what we were doing back then? Yeah, well, okay. We, we, but we, no, I don't mean that... Yeah, okay. <laughs> but... Uh, who was aware of what we were doing? Ah, All right, okay. um, and Sun and Fun Radio has been just so so friendly and so supportive, and so um, and in particular uh, the longtime chairman and great friend of the podcast and friend of us personally, uh, Dave Shellbetter, April's uh, husband. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We're, oh, that's that's an interesting way to go with this, right? Yeah, yeah. April's husband. The chairman of Sun and Humor. All right, we'll have to work on that a little bit. Anyways, thank you to uh, to Dave and to all those folks for everything that they've they've done with us over the years. We really really appreciate it. Uh, and thank you to you two for being here. Um, Absolutely, you know, Amy and uh, Jeb. I really appreciate it. And uh, um, I'm Jack Hodgson. Uh, any words of wisdom for us tonight, uh, Jeb? Um, just remember that the airplane knows how to fly better than you do. All you have to do is let it. Yeah, very good. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying.